Welcome to the Escaping Enemy Mode podcast, a podcast to help you recognize when your brain is treating others as enemies to be defeated instead of as people to be loved. With neuropsychologist Jim Wilder and Brigadier General Ray Woolridge, we'll discover the ways that Enemy Mode sabotages our best intentions and we'll find pathways together to refriend the people around us. Let's get to work. Well, I've got Ryan Brenneman on the line here, and and Ryan, uh, it's really good to have you uh, on our podcast. And uh, Ryan has a long career working in medical device sales. Ryan, tell us about your career. Sure, yeah, it was it's good to be with you. And I'll just say, had about a twenty something year career in medical device sales with several uh, Fortune five hundred and Fortune one hundred companies. And uh, like we talked about, it's relevant just because you see big cross sections of human behavior in large companies like that and all manner of different motivational types from, from fear to uh, money that motivates and, and you, you get up exposed to a lot of different leadership styles. So it was really great experience. And, and your company was really involved in the COVID-19 response, we wasn't it? We were one of the first companies to introduce a test to the American public that was for COVID-19. It was kind of an exhilarating time. It was extremely challenging and the, what we also, we learned a lot about human behavior in that uh, experience just because it was a scarce resource. And you sort of see the best and the worst of everybody when there's a scarce resource. And so it was the crucible, really, in a lot of ways of training for how to, how to deal with this enemy mode from sometimes customers that you've known for years, sometimes people that you worked with. Anytime you apply pressure, uh, it has a tendency to put people in enemy mode. So, Oh, yeah. Well, I just want to thank you for spending time with us. And as you know, our, our book is going out to the world and there's going to be a lot of people wondering how enemy mode plays out in various segments of society. And so that's, we really wanted to talk to you about intelligent enemy mode. And, and I want to refresh our listeners. Enemy mode feels like others are not on my side. And in practice, intelligent enemy mode, uh, we see people as a threat to our status rather than uh, assistance to our effectiveness. And so, Ryan, the question I have for you in your work is where have you seen people operating in intelligent enemy mode? Sure. Well, I'll tell you what what my background is really around is, is performance management. And I can't think of a single greater impacting factor on just performance management in general than having team members who, or even customers who are in enemy mode with one another. Um, because it strips joy, it puts you in the left side of your brain. There's plenty of neurological kind of responses that that can alter or really deter your performance. But um, the, the simple definition in my mind is of enemy mode is kind of when your insecurities go public. And so in the midst of a team, let's think about team, first of all, in the midst of a team, if you have Folks in intelligent enemy mode, what they're doing is they're using their own insecurities to manipulate each other or to maybe manipulate performance. And you see kind of the worst parts of human behavior. Um, Oftentimes, it's viewed as the most efficient way to get a result where you're going to enemy mode and you are going to take no prisoners and leave a wake behind you and, in essence, achieve what you're hoping to achieve from an objective standpoint. But it's always short term. You know, you you get short term results and you – you uh, damage the relationships around you and really degrade the the, the team, e- either morale or overall performance. So it's something I learned to pay really close attention to as a leader in a, in a corporate environment. 
Wow. So it, 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 it makes a team either more effective if everyone's relational or less effective if they're in enemy mode. Absolutely. Without question. And so, um, and, and you've seen this phenomenon in every job you've had and every leader you've worked for. Say more about that. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I'd have to say also, I've seen that phenomenon in me. You know, it's easy to slip into enemy mode when you're under pressure. Um, when you're in a large corporate environment, one of the things I began to notice in my limited experience was just that, that you, that it became a cultural norm to see enemy mode once, um, there was an outside pressure, like a market pressure. So for instance, COVID introducing COVID uh, test and having a scarce resource that you would actually see enemy mode become normative within the organization and people began to be less kind to each other or, you know, the timelines got shorter. People were shorter with each other. Uh, it's just pressure, you know, pressure kind of can uh, be a great catalyzer for what's really inside of us. So, um, yes, I, I got the opportunity to see it. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I fall into it plenty of times. And the key in all of it in terms of managing a team for, from a perform- performance perspective was to find a way to return to joy and find a way to stay relational and find a way to demonstrate empathy even during the pressure. And so for our team, we really kind of built these five maxims that we tried to live by or these five cultural values. And one of them is that we, we promised each other we were going to not be fueled by fear, but we were going to be fueled by joy. And it's funny in a corporate environment because you say joy, a word like joy is considered soft or maybe even a little bit silly. And we had to define what that was going to mean for the team and really make sure that everybody understood that when we talk about being fueled by joy, it means understanding the significance of what we're doing on a daily basis. The fact that we are serving customers, real life people on the other end of the transaction, and that there's an eternal sort of weight to what we're doing beyond just making money or a stat or, or reaching our objectives. And so we worked really hard at, at returning to joy where we worked hard at banking joy, uh, which means we tried to enjoy being together, laugh a lot as a team, understand what made our work significant and, and just keep a bank of joy so that when pressure came, we had something to build off of, you know, we had this banked joy and, and team dynamic that um, would carry us through the pressure times. Wow. And, and I think replacing that fuel of fear with the fuel of joy had a dramatic impact on you and on your team, didn't it? Well, it was interesting. It had nothing to do with any kind of um, managerial ability I have, but when I really started to emphasize joy, I was being coached by a strengths finders coach that helped me discover and see the impact of joy on the human brain. When we started to emphasize joy as a cultural piece of what we're doing, and we really began to practice it, our performance as a team over a three-year period um, went up dramatically and we outperformed most of our peers. We had several years. This was a sales organization. So we had several years where we, we would double or sometimes triple the performance against other regions. And it, uh, you know, we had really highly skilled sales folks on the team that were working very hard. But I really believe one of the key ingredients to that formula was just the fact that we enjoyed what we were doing. And at the brain uh, powered by fear gets short-term results. The brain powered by joy gets long-term, sustainable, really durable results. And you walk away from the end of every day feeling really great about what you've done and enjoying time that you've been with the people you're, that you're working with. Yeah. And the brain that's powered by joy escapes enemy mode more quickly too. That's right. Um, 
So, so you lead a team in your work in the corporate setting. And so how would you coach your team when you're dealing with a person in intelligent enemy mode? And it could be someone above them, or it could be lateral or even beneath them in the organization. How do you help your employees deal with that? In some ways, it's almost easier when a person slips into intelligent enemy mode who's above you because you can just return to the objective. You, know, you can keep a servant-minded approach. In other words, don't take it personally. Try to understand the objective. And, uh, you know, it's very difficult to train your brain to do this, but I think the first response is just empathy. You know, there's a scripture that tells us in Colossians 3 to just clothe yourself with, with um, humility. And the idea is I'm not going to take this personally. I want to understand what your objective is. And I also have to keep in mind there could be some context in that person's life. They could be struggling with a recent medical diagnosis or, you know, divorce, some sort of brokenness at home. So to practice empathy, really deep and meaningful and abiding empathy, and then to just get back to the objective is how I would coach my team when it came to folks that were above them. What's difficult is when it's a person that's sort of a lateral position or maybe even someone that's beneath you because um, it's easier to just write them off and uh, outmaneuver them, sometimes maybe even outsmart them. And that's the same kind of formula. You return to empathy. You do your best to understand their objective and you um, just try to walk in humility so that you can you want to prioritize the relationship above all else. And I certainly was not perfect. No one's perfect at this. But um, it's one of those practices that, again, builds long-term sustained performance instead of this kind of caustic culture where you get, you gain short-term results at the expense of relationships. Wow. And that sounds really countercultural in a corporate environment, doesn't it? Can be. Uh, yeah. You know, and that fear environment can be so draining. A lot of times you don't even know what's draining you, but it can certainly, if you're being motivated by fear, the the brain is just not designed to have sustained performance or, or, or it's not a sustained reality that the human brain can keep. So fear will eventually break down, create turnover, uh, decrease sales numbers, whatever the, the bad outcome is that fear is uh, the brain just can't sustain it. Wow. That's really powerful. So Ryan, uh, let's say I'm your direct report and I'm going into a meeting and it's going to be an enemy mode encounter with a boss. How would you prep me for that meeting? What would you do? How would you help me get ready? Oh, that's such a good question. So I would I would have been coached this way, and that is to 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 breathe, concentrate on your breathing, to exercise empathy. There's a lot of science around a smile, the power of carrying a smile into a meeting like that. Certainly don't jump to conclusions. And try to focus yourself on empathy and the objective. What is it that I need to empathize for? And what, uh, what is it that I need to understand in terms of what this person's trying to accomplish? There's so much shame affiliated with enemy mode. And, and when you get into human, the human behavior of shame, it gets to be extremely tricky. So there are those times where, you know, there's a boundary that shouldn't be crossed. If someone's screaming and yelling and throwing things in a meeting, it's easy. It, it, it's, that's a great time to say, I love that. I can tell you're frustrated. I would love to get deeper in this with you, but we're going to have to strike a more collaborative tone. We're going to have to um, get past the frustration and get down to what it is you're trying to accomplish. And we'll, we can pick this back up. But if there's no major boundary violation happening, I think it's smiling, listening very, very intently on the objective and doing all that you can through empathy to pull that person out of enemy mode and back towards some sort of relational foothold. So you have something to work from, um, 
And oftentimes those are the, we saw that in customers with COVID who were just so frustrated and hospital workers who were so tired and literally watching people die in front of them. And oftentimes if you could just stick it out through the enemy mode portion of that meeting and establish a human connection, those are the kind of friendships and customer relationships that would, that would endure that you would stick to stick with for 20 years um, because they would see that you're a person that cared for them deeply beyond just wanting to win that, that specific argument or win the day. Yeah. Wow. Well, Ryan, you've given our listeners a lot to think about. You've given me a lot to think about. I really appreciate the time and it's uh, good talking to you today. Mm, Good to be with you. Ray, thank you so much for that interview with Ryan. It's it's really enlightening to get to see how different life situations and even different world situations affect the ways that people interact. Um, so just Ryan talking about kind of the pressure cooker that COVID was for the medical device sales companies and how that changed the ways that people interacted with each other. Um, but one thing I wanted to drill in on was how he talked about how intelligent enemy mode can be sometimes valued in the workplace. So Ray, why do you think that from a, in a corporate world, sometimes intelligent enemy mode is seen as an asset in a career instead of a detriment? Well, it's the way we've always done things is part of the answer. It's the way you saw modeled when you were young in the industry. It's the mentors and models you have in front of yourself. And Mm -hmm. if they were always, quote unquote, the smartest person in the room and they knew how to get things done, and then they added on top of that a patina of emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. the problem is emotional intelligence only goes so far uh, because predators use emotional emotional intelligence to track. So I'm not saying that intelligent enemy mode operators in the workplace are necessarily predatory, not in the worst sense of that word, but they Mm -hmm. certainly know how to push people's buttons. And their goal is not attachment and a sense of us. Their goal is their agenda, their mission. So Mm -hmm. Ryan, reflecting back on that, he he came into an industry that was definitely and in a company that was very Mm fear-based. And the fear was around performance and metrics. And so intelligent enemy mode is valued because it does get results. Yeah. The trouble is it doesn't get the best results. It doesn't, it's not the least harmful alternative often, and it does a lot of damage down the road. Yeah. He talked about how it has diminishing returns. And so it's like, you might get better results at the start, but that over time it, it starts to burn itself out. How does that work? Yeah. Well, in addition, whoever the, uh, uh, customer is, whoever you're trying to serve, if you come in with a, I'm just here to re- win and make this work, uh, people like that at first, but they don't want to sustain a long-term relationship with somebody who's just out mm. to win. And the the end result is, well, what happens when you're not on my side? So if you just want to hire a hired gun for a moment, that's really great, but you don't want the same guy for sheriff. And so mm. we've got this, uh, you know, Again, the fastest results use intelligence, and if the fastest result is just taking somebody else out of the way, then intelligent enemy mode will be the fastest. 
and mm. in a rapidly changing environment, you want to be fast. So these things look appealing at first, but eventually your amygdala's inside start saying, you know, I don't know that I trust this person. I don't know. I want to be too close to this person. I just want to mm. keep a, you know, I want to create an image with them. I want to, you know, I want to be seen in a certain way. And so I'm going to hide my weaknesses. Well, when you really need a team is when you got weaknesses that are coming in today and you need somebody else to step in where the, where the weakness is. So uh, if we form it, uh, our team around our, our uh, strengths only, then we don't have ways of helping each other where, where, when our weaknesses show up. If we mm -hmm. uh, form a team around, we're going to be there with each other's weaknesses in a way that will help you to grow and get better at it. Now, all of a sudden, whatever was causing the weaknesses in the environment actually is going to be conducive to success uh, in the long run. Uh, and that doesn't happen when you're fear-based and in an intelligent enemy mode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like to have a really healthy and functioning team, you need to be able to work through those fears and not hide those weaknesses. Um but it feels like you're almost are pressured into that if you're working with somebody in intelligent enemy mode. Um, how, and Ray, I'll, I'll toss this to you. How, how do you work with somebody that's in that space where you're, you're looking at the way they, they interact with you and you can tell they are in it for the win, not for the, the relational connection, the, the win-win. How do you work with people in that space? Well, it's, it reminds me of something Jesus said, you've got to be harmless as a dove and shrewd as a serpent. Mm. So, so mm -hmm. you, have to know, you have to know who you're dealing with. And you also have to manage your own fears in that relationship because you know that at unpredictable moments, they, they may uh, erupt on you or they may be maneuvering behind your back. And so you have, it does create fear. Um, mm -hmm. Now, R Ryan gave us some really good thoughts about that because i asked him so one of your employees is going into an intelligent enemy mode interaction mm -hmm. with a, a superior how do you prepare them for that moment and mm -hmm. and he said he said hey let's let's stay focused on the overall objective even though you know this person has this tendency their objective is to x you know it's how, mm -hmm. how to serve the customer better how to solve the problem more effectively more relationally and so you've got to go into that that environment uh prepared so for example in our book we talked to Emmanuel who was going into an interaction with a city official and it was going to be an intelligent enemy mode conversation his mentor mm -hmm. said go in curious stay mm -hmm. curious in the meeting and so even though he he was under attack he started asking questions Mm -hmm. and, and that's just a different definition that he state was able to stay relational and he was fighting and later he could feel empathy for the man. He mm -hmm. couldn't feel it in the moment, a couple of maybe 24 hours later, all of a sudden he felt sorry for him. There was some compassion. So uh, it's, it's tough though. It's a tough place to find yourself in. And I've worked for people like that. I think all mm -hmm. of us have. And, mm -hmm. and, and you come out of that saying, man, I need to take a shower. I just feel awful. There was a book on the prefrontal cortex and how to keep it on as parents, and they used as the number one guideline. If you're curious, your prefrontal cortex is on, and that's mm -hmm. really the part we're looking for that's going to help us get past intelligent enemy mode. But if we're really dealing with somebody whose only goal is to win, we have to actually show them uh, while they're in enemy mode that there's a bigger win than the one they're aiming at. 
because their man mm. will have looked at my win as if they lose. And if you say, but there's a bigger win here, and that's when our whole team wins, when, you know, these larger objectives uh, get accomplished. And if you can at least talk to the mind that wants to win in terms of what the biggest win, the best win, the larger solution would be, uh, there's a decent chance that somebody who's in a power position got there because they wanted to have these larger goals reached in some way, Mm -hmm. and they might resonate with that. Yeah, that's really helpful of just recognizing where they're at and what they are looking for, and they're looking for the win, and that's kind of the language you need to speak to to be Mm -hmm. able to connect with them, and hopefully you can align on the goals, but yeah, the relational connection is going to be really hard. That's why Ray and I, you know, came to the conclusion that it's really important for everybody to understand how intelligent enemy mode works so that you can actually work with that situation. You just don't want to be in it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that Ryan was talking about that was very similar to your guys' story was how COVID seemed to make everything worse when it came to enemy mode. He was mm-hmm. in an already pretty high pressure environment with medical device sales, but COVID turbocharged that both on his team and with his customers and the culture around us. And Jim, I'm curious from from the brain science perspective that you have, how does pressure affect our experience with enemy mode? Well, pressure is uh, almost always a... Uh... Uh, high energy state, all right? And so mm-hmm. high energy state pushes the cingulate cortex, uh, the one that does stupid enemy mode, in the direction of getting stupid. Uh, but if it's not running well, it also s- cuts down uh, the prefrontal cortex messages that it's getting. So we're no longer thinking real clearly about who are we and what really matters to us. Um mm-hmm. And as soon as we start feeling pressure, uh, the brain's trust mechanism uh, knows to trust people who let us take a break when we need it. So we Hmm. trust people that will let us rest when we need it. Uh, And if there's just push, push, push pressure, our brain goes, don't trust, don't trust, don't trust. Well, don't trust Hmm. is pretty close to enemy mode, right? This person is not on my side. So the brain reads your pressure as not being on my side because you won't let me rest if I need to catch my breath. And then, of course, not being together, we lose all those nonverbal cues that come from people's faces and expressions and, you know, watching their eyes roll when we, uh, you know, go on too long and too loud and, you know, loss of interest in the room because everybody Mm -hmm. sitting on their fourth Zoom call for the day has already lost interest in the room. So, uh, you know, we're we're not actually engaging well. So that adds Mm -hmm. another overlay on the whole thing. Um, And then the the whole COVID thing had the world scared. Yeah. Everyone's anxious. So anxiety is also another thing that pushes you into enemy mode. It's like there's a threat somewhere. Uh, And it's real easy for the brain to say, well, it must be the person I'm talking to. Those background fears influence us even if we don't recognize, uh, you know, well, the real reason I'm feeling anxious today is uh, has to do with whether my kids are going to get sick in school and not really so much Mm. about the person I'm talking to. So all those overlays uh, make enemy enemy mode more likely. Hmm. And how is it that, 
competing for scarce resources affects that. Um, just like with COVID, where there was all kinds of competition for scarce resources, whether it was toilet paper or COVID tests or jobs that continued to pay, it it felt like a time when things that we took for granted weren't there and we didn't know if they were going to have it. And so it, it felt like people started to fight with each other thinking that if I lose this battle, I'm going to be done. Well, that certainly raises again, the threat level Mm -hmm. and, um, enemy mode, basically a fear-based reaction. And the thing that, um, we weren't expecting was that other people would protect us from themselves. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't expect the next shopper to leave some toilet paper on the shelf because he's thinking of me. Uh, Mm -hmm. and so, uh, this lack of trusting other people that aren't looking out for us. So is the, is the person that's not wearing a mask, are they not looking out for me? Are the person that's getting a vaccine, are they not looking out for me? I mean, all these fights uh, mm. were around, you know, all these people that are acting in self-interested kinds of ways. And in fact, there's a lot of doubt about whether the government was even acting in a way that was looking out for us. And so, mm-hmm. again, this general sense of, I don't know if I trust anybody leads us to uh, already assume they're we're, they're probably enemies before we've opened the conversation. Uh, and that uh, really came out in all sorts of ways uh, throughout the, the epidemic and even afterwards. Yeah. And one of the parts that I loved about the conversation, Ray, that you had with Ryan was him talking about how even in this pressure cooker environment that's low trust and high fear, how he focused on leading his team toward joy. And one of the concepts that he talked about that I really wanted to explore deeper was when he said that he was focused on banking joy with his team members. And I I have a loose impression of what I think he meant, but I feel like you can go a lot deeper into what that is when it talks, when we're talking about escaping enemy mode. Well, we, we need to remember, and I don't know that he said this, but in my conversations with him, he had been working on this with his team from before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. and had recognized uh, a fear-based culture in how he was leading the team and in the environment they were involved in. And so he was determined, he got a leadership coach, and he was determined to change how he led that team. Mm-hmm. And so they began doing simple things like uh, sharing uh, sharing with one another personal anecdotes from their lives. They, they started talking about uh, things they were thankful for, and mm-hmm. they started building the relational connection with each other. And so when he talks about banking joy, I, we look at that and we say, well, he's, they're building their relational and joy, their joy capacity as a team. Now, joy is simply we're happy to be together. It's someone who's happy, to, you know, who lights up when you enter the room. Well, it, that's the feeling, that feeling you have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when someone comes into the room and you're just happy to see them, that's joy. And, and they, they also knew that they were for one another. Mm-hmm. So they had for months, for years, been pouring into each other and supporting one another as they did their work together. Mm-hmm. And and a significant portion of each meeting was devoted to to how are you today? What are you celebrating today? And uh, what's bringing mm-hmm. you joy today? And as they began to share more of their personal story, uh, they had this reservoir of of joy memories as a team, so that when the pressure was on, 
they could mm. always return to joy as a team. It's important to do this both as an individual, but also as a group or as a team or as a, as a people. Mm-hmm. And, and these stories of the, these times would help them weather the storm that was coming their way. And it was coming from laterally. It was coming from outside the company. It was coming from uh, above, from the C-suite. But they were happy to be together. Now, I saw mm-hmm. this same dynamic in some other interviews I did. I saw it in a church context, in a megachurch. Mm-hmm. This, this pastor shifted, Pastor Frank shifted how he led his team to, from fear to joy. And it changed everything. And people would remark after interacting with his team, man, you guys are just happy to be together, aren't you? Mm-hmm. And, and, they, and they wanted to work with that team because of the joy they felt in that environment. And they wondered, what is this? How do I get some of that? So... You might think of three little elements that would be pretty practical to do that. One is the memories that you're just talking about, uh, Ray, of as you have these interactions, uh, you can highlight those memories and go, this is a very good team meeting because, and you point out the things that build joy and the team goes, oh, that's good. That's uh, also building joy as part of building habits. Uh, you know, this is a way we function around here. And so, uh Next time there's a problem, here's how we want to do it. How's how we want to handle it? Let's just bring the problem right on in. We want to be behind you when you've got a, pro- a problem. And, you know, and then the third way is identity statements. Yeah, well, we're just the kind of team that has each other's backs. We're the kind of team that likes to hear what the problems are so we can put our intelligence together. Uh, we're just the kind of team that keeps relationships bigger than problems because we're the mm-hmm. best at, at best uh, resources we have for each other. Those kind of statements, habits, and experiences, uh, memory, are what bank joy for people in a, in a group environment. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been such an interesting conversation about um, intelligent enemy mode. And thank you so much to Ryan for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you to Ray for having the interview. And there's so much to think about um, when we're talking about how how intelligent enemy mode affects us, how we interact with it when we see it in others and how to, to bank joy as a team so that we, we don't slip into this, this dangerous place. So thank you all for listening and we will um, talk to you again next time. You've been listening to the escaping enemy mode podcast to learn more about the book by Dr. Jim Wilder and Ray Woolridge, visit escaping enemy mode.com.